So welcome back to this, the 13th in the series of Thrive London Good Thinking podcasts. My name's Tracy Parr, and I'm the Director of Good Thinking, London's Digital Mental Wellbeing Service. Supporting a healthy screen life balance during the pandemic is something I think most of us have been grappling with. As the worlds of work, education, and our social lives become screen-based, now more than ever, it's time to master the screen life balance. Today, Dr. Richard Graham, our digital psychiatrist at Good Thinking, is in conversation with Tanya Goodin. Tanya is a digital well-being expert, founder of the digital well-being movement, Time to Log Off, and author of Off. Over to you, Richard and Tanya. Thank you, Tracy, And thank you, Tanya, for giving us so much of your time today. It's a pleasure. You've spent a long time now years, in fact, trying to understand our relationship with new technologies, with digital technologies, and the impact that that has had upon us in terms of our development and well-being. We're now living through a time where children are at home because their schools are closed, they're being educated online, and of course, they can't go out and about in the same ways. I wonder what thoughts you've had about the likely impact that these changes might have upon young people and their use of technology? I think the first thing to say is that even though we may be now using screens even more than we were using before the global lockdown, all the same principles still apply. Nothing has changed in terms of working out whether our use of screens is actually helping us or harming us. So in terms of talking to young people, obviously, 100% of their education is now via screens. And no one can deny that that is a useful and incredibly um, valuable use of their time on screens. They're also connecting with their classmates. They're connecting with their teachers. Incredibly positive in isolation, I think, for their mental health and for their educational futures that they can do that. So my caveat then is, if that's happening in terms of the work and educational environment, how are they now playing because so much of children's playtime has moved onto screens or had moved before the pandemic. And I think what I'm saying now to children and parents is we just have to be a little bit more careful at the moment that we're not, and this applies to adults as well, but for children, we're not saying work and learn on screens in lockdown and then also play on screens. So that's kind of the main message. What else could we be doing to make sure these children are you know, stimulated, enjoying themselves, we're taking care of their mental health, but doesn't necessarily involve a screen when they've spent their time on screens all day for their learning. That's a really interesting point, because I guess for lots of young people that have their education offline, they'd come home, and that's where the play might move to the digital world. But now the risk is that digital diet or screen life balance is going to be skewed by everything, whether it's play or education, it's all through screens. So how can you get a better balance? Yeah, and that's quite a, a strong habit to break as well, because I think, you know, schools have used screens in the classroom, but it's been quite limited. You know, in, in all the work I do in schools, I think they probably think that, you know, in the, in the course of an average day, it's no more than about 50 minutes or one period that's exclusively staring at a screen. So now we've got children that might be doing that for, for five or six hours. 
And as you say, you know, they were getting on the school bus, they were getting on the train, they were coming home, they were then unwinding with their devices. And that's a habit this generation, you know, Generation Z at school have had since they've been going to school. So that is going to take a little bit of work and a bit of thinking about, I think. And I imagine that will vary as well, depending on the age of your child. For younger ones, it might be easy to have some substitute behaviours that aren't screen-based for play or doing something imaginative or creative. But I imagine for a lot of teenagers who are so immersed in social media, that challenge may be greater. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I've been suggesting to them is that they reconsider the audio call (laughs) because you know terribly retro though that is they want to connect with their mates when they're outside school you know that that's the big part of what social media does for them and messaging and even gaming allows them to connect with their peers so what I've been suggesting is do that but why don't you just pick up the phone and have a phone call because you're still connecting, you're still using technology, you're still connecting at a distance, but actually you're using the audio medium, which, you know, as we know, as we're speaking now, using that very medium is a very rich medium in terms of communication, in terms of hearing the tone of somebody's voice, being able to gauge their mood, feeling that you're directly connecting one-to-one. I think podcasts do that brilliantly. So I think, you know, for older teenagers, suggesting that they actually pick up the phone and they have a chat. I mean, I don't know about you, Richard, but I remember hours spent on the phone as a teenager to the extent that my parents used to shout at me to get off the phone um, (laughs) because those were in the days that there was one phone uh, attached by the wall in the kitchen and I'd be on it endlessly chatting to my friends. So that's just one thing we can be suggesting, I think, to some of our older teens at home. That's a really lovely thought because that helps them maintain all that social connection that's so critical to your life as a teenager. But it also reminds me one of our other podcasts involved a musicologist, Edward Breen, who was talking about this being a time where we can re-engage with deep listening. And in some ways, when you take away a screen, as you say, you can actually also get that deeper connection with someone. Completely. And I know when I speak to people about video conferencing a lot at the moment, one of the frustrations they talk about, and remember children are using it as well, children are using Zoom and Microsoft Teams and FaceTime, is the audio quality. You know, reassuring though it is to see somebody's face, there's often a kind of disconnect between audio and visual. Sometimes you can't hear what people are saying if you're in a classroom and, you know, nobody's muted and there's a lot of noise going on. So actually, yes, that experience of just speaking to someone one-to-one gives you, I think, a much better quality communication at the moment for that one-to-one type of engagement. I think that's really helpful because we're all aware that using video chat in its different forms always seems to be a bit more tiring. And and some people will say that's because you don't have the body language. But I think what you're pointing out is the tech, no matter how good it is, and as you say, we're all grateful it's there at the moment, there are still gaps and problems with it that our brains are having to work hard to overcome. Yeah, and I think, you know, the irony of this whole lockdown situation is that point is going to be really pressed home to all of us. So the kind of message that I've been trying to convey for the last six years, which is that there are things that simply technology cannot do for us. I think we're really seeing that now because, you know, we're we're using all these tools, which are fantastic, and I'm using them myself, and I'm not knocking them, but there's so much more to human communication than a screen And I think this is making us all really realise that, actually. And I hope for our young people that 
that message may be conveyed a bit more. I think, you know, the ones that have retreated a little bit behind screens and chosen that as the way in which to communicate with kind of friends and family may actually be so hungry for that one-to-one, you know, human experience that actually they do it a little bit more when we come out of this pandemic. Yeah, yeah. And I think one thing technology at this point in time, at least, is, has not been very good, is giving you a sense of being in the presence of another person. And some of the work we're doing at the moment with young people is highlighting they really miss that being together in that sort of physical way, being in touch with each other through an actual meetup. Yeah. Of course, there's a whole other group that are also struggling at the moment with this change, which is the world of adults. And they could be parents or they could be adults working from home, I guess many of the same principles apply, but do you have a sense for people working remotely, working from home, what some of the challenges might be for them? Yes, I think for adults, it comes down to thinking really carefully about boundaries. For those of us who have worked at home for a while, or been largely based at home like I have, we're very used to the fact that you have to set very clear boundaries and you have to have routines But that boundary between work and play, I think, is really important. And I've certainly noticed from people talking on social media or people that I've been speaking to myself that actually if you're not used to that, if you're used to the kind of bookending of your day when you leave the door, get on a tube or a bus or a car, go to work, work, and then have the kind of, you know, reverse journey, you know how to start and end your work day. And you know how to set little kind of limits around this is home, you know, this is play and this is work. I think that's really hard when work is now invading every area of our homes. So the work I'm doing with adults talking about working from home is really talking about how we set those boundaries, how we set the cues to ourselves that this is work and this is play. And one little trick that I've been suggesting that I do myself is... I've been designating my laptop as my work device and my smartphone as my play device, my home device, which is not to say that I'm just working and playing on screens, but I'm actually making it very clear when I sit down at my laptop, that's my work time. And when I put my laptop away, it's out of sight and I don't see my smartphone when I'm working. So that's providing a little bit of those boundaries. And I guess it's even harder for us all at the moment with the sheer disruption of life that comes with the lockdown, the pandemic, having to adapt very quickly to all sorts of new ways of living, ways of working, does make it harder. So any structure you can bring into your day does sound like a really good development. Yeah, and I think dealing with distractions within that structure, and again, that's one of the themes that we've always tried to talk to people about, that you know, definitely the world of social media has always been incredibly distracting if you're trying to work. But I think what's happening now, the thing that's really distracting is the news thread. (laughs) And people are finding it very difficult to disconnect from compulsively checking the news. And I hear that a lot. But, you know, obviously, we've got that very human desire to want to know what's going on. But at the same time, it is creating a lot of anxiety. There's a limited amount we can actually do ourselves apart from staying at home. So trying to get out of that really negative cycle of checking the news. And I've talked to people about removing news apps from phones, setting boundaries around time. So one thing I do is I only watch the five o'clock government press briefing 
And then I don't check any other news sites. I have to say, I'm not completely perfect. There are times when I do. But I think, you know, really thinking about anxiety when we are part of this, you know, huge global news story and how we find ways of kind of ring fencing ourselves from that so that we can get on with our lives. That's a really important message at the moment. And it echoes something that we're repeatedly sort of discovering in our work, which is that it's so important to stay connected with yourself, to acknowledge how you are feeling. And if something is making you feel distressed or worse, you have to take a cold, hard look at what you're doing and perhaps make some changes to reduce that. Yeah, so actually I did a workshop, an online workshop the other day about uh, checking the news, how to stop compulsively checking the news. And I actually said, you know, monitor anxiety throughout the day and relate it to how often you are checking the news stories and then work out, you know, what's a sensible amount for you. And I had lots of feedback from people about, you know, a, a lot of people had really cut down on their intake because as they were monitoring their own state and their own feelings, they realized that actually it was linked very much to keep, you know, going onto the new site, keep checking social media, keep, you know, looking at some of the scaremongering messages that people were posting. And I think the more aware we are of that, the better. In a sense, the very thing that I guess you've been working with over the years, which is that the business model for the digital economy is to keep us on screens, can even come into the world of news and reporting. And so extreme kind of clickbait type news feeds are there to keep us on screen too. Yeah, and there's so much fake news and scaremongering and fake cures being kind of peddled online. I think the um, World Health Organization actually issued a, a warning I think it was only yesterday or at the end of last week about some of the fake cures that people are peddling and that are circulating. So yes, I think one thing we've always known about ourselves is that actually we are more attracted to bad news than good news. I, I remember reading a piece that newspaper barons in America in the 1800s worked out that bad news headlines sold more copies than good news headlines <laughs> because we're very attuned to looking for threats in our environment. So at the moment, we've got this kind of, you know, terrible situation where we've got a genuinely bad news story and we've got you know, the, the apps and the tech companies that are particularly bad at getting our attention. So we could be caught up in this perfect storm of real anxiety because we want to know what's going on and we're also having that information being pushed at us constantly. So we do have to keep really firm boundaries around it. Yeah. And I think one of the things we've been hearing about as well from some of our clinical colleagues is those checking behaviours, which start out as something to help you cope, can take a grip of you and then it sort of spirals out of control. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that also seems to be occurring at the moment, given that we are all at home, all online, it seems, is that we're seeing some sort of a wave of, of cybercrime, of scams, of phishing, and... Again, that's a real challenge, isn't it? When people are feeling anxious, kind of thinking about how they can recognize whether it's misinformation and fake news or something that might be more criminally driven. Yes, I mean, I think we're all very vulnerable, aren't we? We all feel much more vulnerable than usual. And to a certain extent, our defenses are down. And all the messages that we've spent so many years you know, broadcasting to young people, you know, to adults, even to ourselves about not clicking on links that are sent to us, not responding to text messages, 
I think we are in a situation where we do have to be really careful about protecting ourselves. There is lots of evidence that cyber criminals are heavily jumping on this bandwagon. I saw a particular phishing issue, which was around text being received, spoof addresses. So they look like they come from your mobile phone provider. So for me, Vodafone saying, your latest payment hasn't gone through, your phone's about to be disconnected, you know, click here to reinstate your payment. And of course, we're all really terrified about being cut off, aren't we? So, you know, the one thing liable to get attention at the moment is your phone line's about to be disconnected, your broadband's about to go down. So that had received a lot of attention from people, particularly those who might be older, who might not have received those kind of phishing texts or emails, or not understand that you can get a text that looks like it comes from your broadband provider, which is one of the messages that we've been trying to communicate over the years that spoofing of addresses. So you can get a text that looks like it's from your bank, it's in the same thread as your bank. So I think the message is we are vulnerable, we're very vulnerable at the moment, we're feeling vulnerable, and we just have to redouble our efforts to make sure that we check everything that comes to us and don't take anything at face value. And anything, presumably, that involves sharing any personal information? Anything that involves giving away information that may identify you or, you know, definitely credit cards, bank details. Pick up the phone. It comes back to the reliability of the audio call again, Richard. Pick up the phone, ring your bank, ring your mobile phone provider and just check that this is actually a genuine message. But as you say, I guess the criminals behind these developments are tapping into those anxieties. And I guess for people who are struggling financially, etc., they are going to be extremely vulnerable to anything that suggests they'll be cut off from, you know, well, I guess now our internet connections, our mobile connections are a utility that people are depending on like they would gas and electricity, really. And they're a lifeline, aren't they? I mean, when you think, you know, they've, suddenly become the artery that is connecting us to the rest of the world alone in our homes. So attacking those is actually, you know, very intelligent on the part of the cyber criminals because they're really going to get our attention. So if something touches on something that is really important to you as well, I guess that's an area that they could exploit. Yeah. I was also thinking, though, one of the things that we're starting to pick up on is that young people in particular, but I don't think just them alone, are also starting to get a bit frustrated, a bit bored. And I wonder if you think some of the risks about clicking on potentially risky links or or messages coming through could also relate to the fact that we're getting a bit stir-crazy, cabin fever is starting to kick in, and we kind of want something new, even if it's risky. Yeah, I think that's why some of the more sensational stories online that are circulating are getting more, you know, traction than they might have been. I absolutely agree with you. I think, you know, when we're looking at four walls and a screen every day and just going out for our government-approved walk, anything slightly kind of sensational or risky or dangerous is definitely going to be appealing to all of us, not just those of us who might not be, you know, as in control of our impulse control as others. Um, you know, we're all liable to go down that kind of rabbit hole at the moment. It reminds me a few years ago, I was very struck that, as you know, one of the titles for one of the major news outlets was called BuzzFeed, which kind of tapped into the buzz, you know, that little boost of mood or a bit of excitement that kind of keeps you hooked. 
And I guess in different ways, all of these misinformation, fake news, or even just sort of accurate reporting channels are all competing to give you that buzz, which at a time of frustration and boredom is, as you say, something we all crave to some degree. Yeah. And I think we're going to have to find ways of doing that, that, you know, keep us safe. And whether that's through exercise, whether that's through spending time with family and friends, the people we are in lockdown with, doing something fun, you know, we're going to have to find ways of making sure that we're getting those hits in a safe environment. And I think time and again, one of the things that seems to be helpful in that is looking for new opportunities, whatever it is, and whatever fits you and your circumstance. That I mean, it, it, it's funny, isn't it? On, on the one level, we're kind of asking people to maintain a routine. And yet routine, of course, can be such a negative term, can't it, for a life that is routine? <laughs> well, yes, but I think, you know, we can create new routines. We, we've all got new lockdown routines now, haven't we? I've been loving seeing... I was looking the other day at the most purchased items on Amazon at the moment, and two right up at the top, one was a bread machine, (laughs) and everybody's talking about baking bread. Everywhere I go online, people are saying, well, I've now got hours at home, so I'm making bread. And the other was fitness equipment. You know, people are buying fitness equipment and thinking, actually, I've now got no excuses. I can now actually try and get fit at home. So, (laughs) yeah, I think our routines don't need to be boring. We could be learning new skills. We could be doing things that actually, you know, we haven't had time to do because of our very busy lives up till now. Um, was that the sequence that you buy the bread machine and then, <laughs> then you do you'd the have fitness. to get some yes. sort of exercise yes. machine to, to counteract that? Yeah. Everyone's been talking about the lockdown 15, which is the 15 pounds we're all going to put on in lockdown as a result of eating all the bread that we're making. Although I think in terms of some of the things that could happen, that's probably something we can all adapt to post-lockdown. I think so. I, I think <laughs> a bit of compassion and understanding at this point as well. And we'll all be in the same boat, so doesn't matter absolutely (laughs) unfortunately we won't be able to switch off our cameras at that point but uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, so it sounds like you know really sort of keeping your mind alive and sort of just allowing yourself sometimes i would think perhaps or even some guilty pleasures which isn't the same as that obsessive tracking of news that you find distressing but sometimes a funny video some idle curiosity an adventure to places or parts of the internet even that you may not have visited before could actually give you a little bit of a boost when the frustrations are building yeah, what, one of my secret joys at the moment, I don't know if you've seen him, but Andrew Cotter, the sports commentator, is posting absolutely wonderful videos with his two Labradors where he commentates as though they're taking part in a sporting event. Um, he had Game of Bones recently. One was trying to get a bone off the other, but it was very, it was very kind of subtly done. He was talking about the strategy of the sport absolutely hilarious so there are people posting very funny and very entertaining things online that can give us that boost as you say i'm really enjoying watching those it's really heartening isn't it because again perhaps from so many unexpected quarters we're seeing real imagination and wit and doing something that you know as you say lifts the spirits and, and gives you that boost which is fantastic that as a broader community people are doing together 
I think the NHS claps on a Thursday night are actually giving us all that wonderful, you know, talking about being connected and being part of a community and that doesn't have to happen via a screen. You know, in the street that I live in, London, everybody's on their front doorsteps all clapping. We're all able to see the community that we're part of. And that's really uplifting. Yeah, although I remain slightly puzzled that in my training, the clap tended to refer to something rather different. <laughs> Probably yes. not achievable with social distancing. So. <laughs> no, unless you're very creative. <laughs> Well, I think you've given us a lot of ideas and tips that we can share with our listeners about how to live with screens, live with the technology, as you say, a sort of lifeline, but at the same time, something that could become an unhelpful routine that takes something away from your life. So thank you very much, Tanya. Our pleasure. But before we exit the podcast and go back to offline life, we tend to end our podcast by getting to know the person we're talking to a little better through asking them some questions that I think, because you've emphasized play a number of times, and I think it's right, a lot of what lifts your mood is being able to play and be a bit imaginative. So I'm going to ask you a question now that if you could have chosen to go into lockdown with three famous or prominent people of your choice... Who would you have taken with you? Oh, um, so I think Stephen Fry has to be my number one, simply because he's such a polymath and incredibly witty and entertaining, and I feel I'd learn a huge amount from him. I think Dorothy Parker, again, a great wit. I'd love to have really had a good chance to chat to her. And I think finally David Attenborough, just because so much about the natural world I think one of the things that I'm kind of really focusing on, the positive of us all being in this global lockdown, is the really positive effect it's having on the planet and the environment. And I'd just love to chat to him about what he's seen and where he's travelled and what he thinks the good things we might be doing at the moment to kind of reset the planet and its wildlife. Yeah, so a sort of sense of rebalancing. But also with your other two guests, if that's the right word, some really sharp minds. Very entertaining, yes. Keep you on your toes, though. But I'd enjoy that. I'd definitely enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, well, at least you wouldn't be bored. You can take with you some piece of media. We say that because it could be a book, film, piece of music, even a recording of a sporting event. Anything that comes to mind that you take with you to, again, comfort you or lift your mood in some of the harder moments? Gosh, this is difficult because, yeah... So it could be a book or a recording. Could it be a series of books? I think we've virtually got no ability to limit what you do at these moments. <laughs> Let's stretch it. Okay. I think I would go for the complete works of Agatha Christie because I love a good whodunit. And even though I've read all of them, there's enough of them, I think, to keep me occupied. And I'd kind of like to start at the beginning and read my way all the way through. So you'd get to understand the sort of journey of her work from start to end. And keep my brain active because I'd be working out who the villain was in every book. So something satisfying for the mind yet again, but also beautifully crafted by, I guess, still one of the UK's greatest writers. Yeah. A luxury. What else would you have in there with you to lighten the load? Well, my luxury is so easy because... The one thing I really love doing is having a lovely bath. That is my stress release. And I've been having a lot of them in lockdown. <laughs> so some really lovely aromatherapy oils. In fact, I've just 
discovered a lovely one called forest bathing, which sort of simulates the experience of actually being in a forest and outside, which is a brilliant experience. So a lovely bath with some great bath oils that kind of transport me to somewhere on the planet that I can't go to at the moment. I guess it would also help if things started to get a bit difficult between Stephen and Dorothy. <laughs> yes, I can go lock myself in the bathroom. There's a few egos you've taken with you. <laughs> or if they start reenacting uh, Agatha Christie right in front of me, yes. Gosh. <laughs> well, that sounds like a really nice way to unwind after what no doubt would have been a very stimulating, if frustrating time. So thank you enormously again, Tanya. Thank you. And we'll look forward to hearing more of your work in the future as, again, our relationships with screens will evolve from lifeline to frustration. I think it's all going to get very interesting when we come out of lockdown, seeing how we change in the way we use technology. And I can't wait to see how it's going to develop. Indeed. Well, we'll perhaps catch up with you a bit later then. Thank you. Thank you.